Yeah, tell him, Max. We keep it 100 here. All right. So we expect you to do the same, Keith. Okay. Yeah. Cedric Noah's career went down after he left UNCG. President <laughs> so, I was at UNC Charlotte. Oh, oh. <laughs> even on the, the real. No, okay. Wasn't even near no UNCG. He come, see Joe Sway, you we get a special guest from Philly, and he come up here immediately getting wrong information. Oh, tossing I the, knew this is gonna tossing the black man out there, like you know, <laughs> put to another school. The big girls love that. Chicks love the last shot opportunity. Somebody give me a napkin so I can wipe my mouth. I knew this is going to be a great episode. Welcome into a brand new episode of the Cedric Maxwell Podcast. He is Cedric Maxwell, of course. I am Josue Pavone. We're joined by a special guest, Keith Pombay of the Philadelphia Inquirer. Did I say that right? I didn't say that right. Inquirer, I didn't say that right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Keith, man, we've been, I don't want to say like back and forth, but because of the many times the Celtics and Sixers have, have faced each other in the postseason, we crossed paths many a times, plenty of conversations over the years, and I, I, I couldn't way to get you on here to get your perspective of obviously what happened in game one and then the uh, the contrast we saw in game two between the Celtics yeah. and the Sixers. So I guess we could start right there. I mean, uh, Joel Embiid, uh, the league's uh, MVP, coming back after two weeks on ice. And, uh, man, he, um, he had an encouraging performance, I guess you can call it. But at the end of the day, what everyone's going to remember is how it went down. That was a blowout, a, a blowout victory for the Boston Celtics, uh, topping them. You know, in this game where it felt like everyone in Philly was trying to play their best for, uh, you know, for Embiid and his comeback and him being MVP. But my question is, do you think they jumped the gun? Do you think Doc Rivers and the 76ers should have waited to, to do this in, in game three in Philly? You know, I don't think I don't think they jumped the gun. And, and the reason being is because, like, from what I was hearing was it's all about pain threshold. Right. So you come back, you know, you could play through that. Right. And the thing about it is, let's just say, if if they would have rested him and he would have and they would have lost, right? Then you bring him back in Philly, and he looks rusty. He got to get his wind up, and then next thing you know, everybody's saying, "How come y'all didn't bring him back in game yeah. two when yeah. you already split?" You know what I mean? Dan, so, if you do, Dan, if you don't, right? Yeah, and 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 let's face it, like, what is Joel like one and nine against the Celtics in the playoffs? So it's kind of sort of, you know, one of those things where you got to get him out there and you just got to get him in shape and hope that he play at a high level in a couple games. You know? Yeah, I, I looked at him and I think that he he played. There were spots that he was he was very good. Uh, what he showed was he still had the quickness. Uh, mm -hmm. Tate tried to drive by him one day and, and drive by him on one play and he was able to block that shot immediately. Joel, Joel Embiid is a is an unbelievable athlete. You know, when you look at him, I'm talking about speed, quickness, hand, all all that stuff combined. But to me, when he comes back in the lineup, Tobias Harris suffers. He doesn't get his his kind of touches. Ball movement stops. Uh, Harden was incredible in that game. So oh, you have yeah. to wait for the big guy. Uh, you know, and and to me, the 76ers in that game. I don't care what you did or who they played in game one. They shot the damn lights out of that building. And uh, they deserved to win because they shot so well. 
but they can't you can't expect them to shoot like that every single night you know when you think about playing in a big game series yeah that's true and and because the thing about it is like when you look at it um let, let, let's take a guy DeAnthony melton for instance right so yeah. when, the, when the Celtics were shooting 71%, he kind of kept the Sixers in the game by going five for five on threes, right? So you're saying to yourself, this is a bench guy who's hot on the road <laughs> in the first <laughs> game going five for five. And then the second game, you're trying to look and see if he can provide that, and he just couldn't. I mean, I, I think a lot of it is, you know, people look at it and they say, I mean, you know, two things happen. People look at it and they say, okay, the best player isn't playing. But then, like you said, Cedric, you got Tobias and them. They're looking at it like, yo, this is my opportunity to shine. The ball is moving. Everybody's stepping up. And then you look at the Celtics, and they're saying to themselves, like, look, man, they're not playing without Joel. Mm-hmm. You know, this might this going to be easy. And as much as people say they don't do that in the NBA, they do do that a little yeah. bit. Especially oh, yeah. when you get off hot. So I, I think that you know, it was like the, the Sixers got them on a good night, and then, you know, they made a little bit of adjustments in the second game. But in order for them to win, you know, I hate to say it, but DeAnthony Melton got to be closer to the guy he was the first game than he was the second one. And, why, and, why, why, let me ask you this. Why you hate to say that? Well, I mean, well, I don't want to put the pressure on him, but, like, you know, it, you know, it's, it's one of the things I don't want to put the pressure on the dude, but you, he has to be that way. And the one thing that I did notice, I'm going to be honest with you. I was at, uh, you know, cover the team yesterday. I'm I'm sitting there and I'm looking at Joel getting the award, which was odd to me because it's it's happening in TD Garden. Yes, yes. I'm glad you brought that up. It was crazy. It was crazy because you saw, like, you see this Sixer stuff and then you see these people walking around in green trying to say, is everything okay? And I'm like, Okay, am I seeing this right? Like, is they literally <laughs> trying to help these people out? Like, you know what I mean? So, so, but the thing that got me is Joel's the type of dude during pregame, like in the morning, he don't want to talk to no media, shoot around, right? He got that scowl on his face, and he was extremely happy to see us. He was talking like he he spoke forever, and then he did like hits with ESPN with the local mm. TV. And I was like, he ain't playing. He ain't playing. And he played. And I was like, yo, they're going to lose. Because it just really? seemed like, yeah, because, I mean, you, I don't know. But you can't, I don't think, like, when you in that mindset in a big game like this, a rivalry game where your team is taking L's, and then all of a sudden you got everybody telling you how great you are, mm-hmm. and then you got to go into a hostile environment, it's hard to flip that switch. You know, I would assume. Yeah. And and then for his team, it's like they went from that high on like we beat the Celtics to then all of a sudden the next day we celebrating this dude. And yeah. then when he comes in, it's like if you notice, y'all, they would push the ball up. They get past half court and then they would wait for him and he would only go to the three point line. So yeah. it was like they was helping the Celtics out. Like to me, it just was it was a a bad day for the Sixers from the from the start to the finish. I'm glad you pointed out the fact that, that they were celebrating. Well, not even celebrating, but he was doing his speech and the MVP ceremony and all that was happening at TD Garden. I mean, listen, for someone, someone who's been covering the Celtics team all season long, when they 
lose the way they did in game one, they typically respond in that manner. But having that type of energy or that extra motivation going into game two, I felt like, man, look out. And I'm glad Jalen Brown, I felt like, was so locked in that he was barely speaking to his teammates before the game. He went right at him, especially offensive on offense and then guarding defensively. And I'm like, man, maybe these guys took that kind of stuff personal, that kind of thing personal, personally, when I feel like that's something that we may have seen. And Max, you could probably agree with me on this one. Something you probably see in, in the, the generations right before these guys, right? Like Pierce and Garnett. And those are the kind of guys I feel like that would be like, how dare they do this in, in this building? Though it wasn't mentioned, I feel like it did plant another seed, though, of motivation for these guys. I think, I think if you're looking for that as motivation, then you're in the wrong place. Uh, this is the big boys. This is a, uh, this, the, the, whole, the way the world is now is, uh, uh, you know, the communication is instant and they can make places. You can be in Hawaii and they can make it look like you, you know, someplace in, in the ghetto. But what they did is like, look, this is to me, the best thing for me would have been to see the, the NBA actually just wait for a day and then give Joel Embiid the award. Uh, once he came back, you know what you know what yeah. the schedule is. Yeah. It's only it's only going to be one day essentially. You know, you can say Joel Embiid after the game MVP, but it did create. It can sometimes create a fire. I think the biggest thing about that game to me was the Celtics were pissed, and yeah. they wanted, they just wanted to play their game. They felt like it was a game they should have won. Because offensively, you score that many points, you think you're going to win a game. And then you look at the 76ers, they barely could scratch anything in that game. And he mm. said all the guys who were knocking down shots over and over again for the 76ers to keep it close, they weren't involved in that game at all. But yeah, 120, 121 guy, to 87 was the final score in game two. One guy who impressed me, though, is Ben Reed, though. Uh, oh, yeah. Young center. He, he's impressed me with some of been able to do and, and maybe because he battles Joel Embiid so much in practice some of those little moves and some little annex you know have paid off for him I remember he was under the basket gave behind the back pass uh on the floor so the Sixers has some things going but uh at the end of the day I believe that the Celtics are the better team oh, uh yeah. you know 76ers have the best player uh, in Joel Embiid, but I think overall, you think about Brogdon and White, and you put all that combination yeah. together. I don't know if the yeah. 76ers can match that. Yeah, I, I would agree. I mean, and you know, this from coming from a guy, you know, like who, all jokes aside, you know, I always talk about the Philly Boston thing. I grew up in Philly. Um, but when you look at the Celtics, um, and you look at the Sixers, the Celtics are the worst possible matchup. Like, I feel like, I mean, they are because because you, you look at it and you look at how the Celtics has played Embiid in the past. It's kind of sort of like, OK, big fella, you want to score? Go ahead. You're going to score. We're going to shut everybody else down. But now it's kind of like on the defensive end. You look at the Harden and the Maxi um, backcourt. They're not really good defenders. And when you look at the 76ers, they got a good defense, but their kryptonite is wings who can create their own shot right mm -hmm. and also bigs who can come out and hit shots right so and then also we look at it and Harden and Maxi are not top defenders so then if you bring in a Malcolm Brogdon you go with a crazy lineup or whatever then you bring in Malcolm um, Malcolm Brogdon 
then they really in trouble. And that's when he always gets off on them. You know, he can get whatever shot he wants. They just don't have enough to to guard these guys. You know, let, let's face it. So you look at Tobias Harris, who became a, an improved defender, but now you're saying that Tobias, I got you got to guard Jason Tatum. And we're at in the years in the past, you like, you're not putting them on him. You're not going to do mm-hmm. that. But now you like you need them on them because those other dudes they got are too small or not as athletic or they're either too small or, or too thin to guard him. So so I think that's why I say, you know, the Celtics um, are the Sixers like kryptonite, so to speak. And with Joel Embiid and you got Harden, you know, I, I think they can beat a lot of other teams in the playoffs. It's just that in the seven game series, I think that's Boston just got too much for him. Yeah. How do they tap into that offense from game one? Like, how do you do that with Embiid in the mix? Is that possible? You know, the the thing is, you're talking about, I mean, you can, uh, uh, you know, as far as, it's just that Harden, I think in that instance, that's when Harden has to be that guy. And what I mean by that is he got to be the floor general. He got to get out there and and, and Mm -hmm. distribute the rock get everything involved. And like Embiid has to know that I can't like be this guy who's just going to take over. And like you said, Cedric, you know, let's face it, Tobias and them, they all say the right things after the game, but they're sitting here looking like, yo, how come I only got five shots and this guy is coming in and getting four, 30, whatever. You know what I mean? So I, I think that's where Harden, when the Sixers were at their best, Harden was getting like 10, 11, 12 assists. And like at least five of those assists went to MB, but he was feeding a lot of other people. So in order for the Sixers to have success, it has to be through Harden, not through him doing that step back and hitting them threes. It's through him getting everybody else involved. I agree and, and you don't think about it. He did that versus Brooklyn. He was able yep. to do that because Brooklyn don't <laughs> too quickly. And when they were double teaming, he was essentially looking over that double team and he was just throwing the ball to the corners. Uh, One of the things that was interesting that uh, I learned yesterday, I was doing TV and they came back and they told me, said, well, Max, you know, you made the list. I was like, what list? He said, some radio station here in Philly had uh, the top 10 most hated Celtics of all time. I was was number seven. You number seven? Damn. That's because you used to talk all that trash. (laughs) Yeah, but and you know what? And the funny thing about it, I believe that probably, and I I didn't see the list, but I guarantee you Al Horford is probably near the top right now, thinking about how 76ers felt like they were scorned when they got Al. He didn't play as well, but you bought him in for the wrong thing. You bought him in really because he was a guy who could contain uh and bead and then yeah. you didn't use him you sit him in the corners and now you want him to score and that's not al's game so yeah, I, 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 I think al might have been one of the guys at the top of the list yeah i would agree that whole al horford experiment was was bad um and and, and it wasn't al's fault now he, he got a lot of flat if you notice see a lot of people will say that him and mb couldn't play together right that that wasn't that wasn't totally true the problem was Ben Simmons couldn't shoot the ball. Uh, so where when you got all three of them together, so like if 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 one of the one of the three didn't play, 
then Al was good. But if, if all three of them was there, it goes to a point where, like you said, the corner, because Ben had to be at the dunker spot, right? He couldn't go elsewhere. So that means Al went places. And it was kind of sort of like they was using him as like a stretch big because he mm. has that skill set. But it was like we all know how he's in the pick and pop and all that other things. So it, it really was it was bad. And the funny part about it is like a lot of the fans was like, oh, he's trash. He's trash. And then when he goes back to Boston, they're mad because, oh, now he wants to play. And it's like, it's <laughs> not him. It was the way he was being utilized, you know? Yeah. The, yeah. The, the system did not allow Al to use his skill set. And you said, this is this organization, to me, when I think about Philly, when you bring up Ben Simmons, man, you, you've had a lot of just kind of turmoil in here that you look over the years considering you got one of the best players around and then you go to the draft and who do you take a guy who essentially couldn't shoot anymore. And you know, that, that was another, that was a, another thing that hurt you. Yeah. Oh, you oh, I'll let you talk about it. Go ahead. <laughs> you know what the process. So when you think of the process, the process <clears throat> was what they started with 2013, 14 season. 14, yeah. So, you know, they started with Nerlens Noel. And then after that, they went out and got Joel, who didn't play for two years. Then they got Jalil Okafor, right? So Jalil Okafor is not even in the league. You forgot about that dude he makes, right? You're not even in the league. So then you got Ben Simmons, right? And then it was Markel Fultz. And you look at all that they had so many lottery picks. And MB is the only one left on the team. Now, they did draft the guy Furkan Korkmaz and Ben Simmons draft, right? But of all those people that they drafted, first-round picks, like, is only Joel and this guy, Furkan. And Furkan was a guy who asked to be traded, mm-hmm. and they couldn't trade him, right? So, <laughs> I mean, seriously, he asked to be traded, and they couldn't trade him. So, you look at the process, and you say to yourself, you know, was that a success? And then the thing is, we look at this. So, you look at the Celtics were bad, too, at that time. Like when they first started, like the Sixers had a better record than the Celtics that first year. But then all of a sudden they made the right moves. And next thing you know, you know, you had Isaiah uh, Thomas, you had Al that came in there. They they were still playing for Eastern Conference Finals. They couldn't beat Cleveland. But then all of a sudden they go through another rebuild. And now you look at what they have now. So it was a tough time for Philadelphia, man, because they kept going after guys. And the funny part is the one dude who's here is the one who missed his first two years and people thought he wasn't going to play a game. Wow. And, you know, it, yeah. it, and he missed it, a big chunk of that third year too, right? Yeah, yeah. He only played 33 games. Yeah, you do say that, but man, how big was the Simmons fiasco? Was that even bigger? Was that even more of a soap opera? Yeah, Max that was bad. It, yeah, he talk, I know he's talking trash. He's talking trash. It was, you know what? It was, he's like, he's like, how bad was that? Tell me, Keith. <laughs> he's uh, it was no, but see, the one thing worse than the Simmons thing, I think, to the people in Philly, was uh, trading with Boston to um, for Markel Fultz. Yeah, I feel like that's Sixers one, fans either forgot the or they just kind of let it slide. Like they just that was crazy. Yeah, I mean, and then you think, and I feel bad for Brian Carlangelo because 
you know, we, we talk about the Barnani trade. I mean, he drafted Barnani in Toronto first overall. He drafted Ben Simmons first overall. Mm-hmm. He, he drafted Markel Folks first overall and then gave Danny Ains all those draft picks, right? So, you know, I mean, that's that's crazy. And then he got caught with the burner account. So it was uh, – <laughs> It was it, it was bad for him. It was bad. <laughs> well, I think I mean what let's let's put put things in perspective though. Everybody says that the Celtics did whatever they wanted, but the Celtics were the one with the first pick in the draft, and and but they were they could have taken Tatum anyway if they wanted to, but they were so sure that Philly wanted him that they were able to give up a pick, and then they got the guy they wanted to later on with the third pick. The Celtics, they kind of flip up. Philly kind of shot themselves in the foot because yeah, they, they, weren't gonna, they, they weren't going to get you weren't going to get you weren't going to get Tatum at number three anyway, regardless of what everybody thinks. You weren't going to get that dude. No, the dude didn't want to work out for him. Remember, he didn't want to work out for him in the pre-draft. So Tatum, that's the one thing. I, I like from what they were saying is I don't know how true this part was, but he didn't want to play with Ben Simmons. I guess I, I don't know. But I know, like, he didn't want to work out for him. Um, the, the, the whole thing was, when you look back at it, Markel Folks was supposed to be that guy, though. He was supposed to be a, the combo guard that everybody liked. Now, the problem is, and you know more than I do, probably you heard this, he worked out for Boston, and they didn't see it. Like, mm-hmm. the owner was like, yo, what's going on? Like, you know, nah, this ain't working out, right? Like, I don't, I don't like this, right? Yeah. So, so you know, then what happened is he comes to the Sixers. And I'll be there. Like, I'll be honest with you. They had uh, – and I shouldn't be telling Cedric this, but, um, like, I'm an objective <laughs> reporter. But they had, yeah, you know, man. De'Aaron, keep the Philly ties to the side. There you go. They, they had De'Aaron Fox, right? So De'Aaron Fox came in and worked out the same day that Markel came to Philly. Now, it took Markel to, forever to get there. And you later found out the reason why it took so long is because he wasn't going to work out for the Sixers unless the trade became official, like behind closed doors. So Danny was duping them, right? You know, they was trying to do all this. So because he was ecstatic about Boston, he he said he could see himself there. He was he did the whole thing, the whole speech with the. With the with yeah, the he said that, but he wanted to go to. I mean, he, well, the thing about Boston. Because, you know, IT was there at the time. He thought yeah, he was going to be there, this and that. Yeah. Like, he wanted to go somewhere where he thought he was going to be the man. But it didn't happen that way in Philly either. But the deal is, and plus Philly is closer to where he lives at in the D.C. area. His family. So, but the thing was, he, um, De'Aaron Fox was doing this workout. And they said Fox couldn't shoot, right? That's what they told us. And Fox did the workout. And then all of a sudden, Markel came in and did. Mm-hmm. And Mar- Markel was so bad missing shots that, and the media was in there videotaping it and putting it on Twitter. That right. Brian Calango looked over and just ended the workout. That's how bad it was. And when we walked out, we was like, "Yo, the other dude is better, and mm-hmm. dude, the other dude is better." <laughs> like you knew right then and there. And then Cedric, look, I'm gonna I'm make you happy. I'm gonna make you happy on this one. So, so they draft them first overall, right? And they had like the uh, they had the press conference, 
And if you go into their practices, they had like the um, press conference in the practice gym. Now, Ben Simmons was never around the media. Never. But mm-hmm. he showed up this morning. So we all came in there. They got the camera crew and everything. Ben was on the side doing workouts. Right? Now, Mar- it was Markel's day. So Ben is taking the ball, slamming it off the wall, catching it. Boom! So you see all the cameras, they all like where Markel was supposed to be. All the cameras turn over and everybody getting B-roll of Ben, right? So I looked at another reporter and I said, yo, Markel in trouble. <laughs> because it was kind of like a dog staking claim to his territory. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? Like he was doing all that. And then all of a sudden, when they got there, I guess Markel thought he was going to be the point guard. Ben was. Mm. And it was kind of like Markel was the dude off in the corner. Now he's thinking like, I'm the first overall pick. I'm off in the corner. But Ben was also the first overall pick. Both of them wanted to be rookie of the year. It was crazy, man. It was crazy. So that was the biggest problem right there. That was it. That was it. That was the biggest problem. And then, what, six years later, uh, Joel B is awarded the MVP. It's about time, Keith, right? I, I mean, I, I'm sure you had him at the top of your list, but I just feel like this was the year, right? I'm like, this is the year where he's, he's earned it. He's earned it, and he's, he's just pushed this team, you know, as, as far as he did throughout the regular season. And you look at the numbers, man, it, it was incredible. It was an incredible run. So I'm happy that uh, they got it right, obviously, right, in, in, in getting him yeah. to be the MVP. Yeah, now I didn't vote for him. I mean, I voted for him this year. I voted for him last year, but the other year I didn't. And it was times when I didn't vote for him first team All-NBA. I didn't think he deserved it. Like, I like Joel, and and the one thing is I think he respects me because I'm the one, like, I I don't think you like better than this dude, and I'm not going to vote for you. But what happened is when you look at the 76ers and you look at the last game against Boston that they played in the regular season, Boston was without two starters because Robert Williams yeah. was a starter, right, at that particular time. No and Joel Embiid had to have 53 and 13 to beat him, right, that way. So that tells Celtics, you how – You're right. And the Celtics actually had a chance to win that game at yeah. the end. Even when they, Tatum had a shot in the corner and missed it, would have tied it up or could have made a three. But, man, that was, that was eye-opening to see – what Joel Embiid had to do just yeah. for them to be in that conversation to beat the yeah. It was crazy because if you look at it, you know, they weren't even really trying to guard him. And and then it got to, you remember when Blake came in? So Blake came in in the fourth quarter. I think that's when the coach was like, yo, we can win this thing. So he brought Blake in in the fourth quarter and Blake was trying to be Dennis Rodman grabbing all the rebounds. And everything like that. And I saw that. But the, outside of that game, a lot of people don't think about when they played the Utah Jazz. Mm. So MB. Well, I was going to say real quick, if I could interject here. I feel like Blake, he had a little extra motivation that game going up against Doc. Like, I feel like yeah. he, he's when he gets those opportunities, especially against Doc, he wants to stick it to him. But, yeah, I'm, I'm with you, though. He, he, yeah, uh, yeah, that he was crazy when he when he clowned him on that no adjustments. Yeah, yeah, right. Oh, you saw that. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I saw that. But nah, but when they played Utah, they played Utah, and it was like, you know, early in the year. Um, 
and Embiid had 59 and seven blocks, Ooh. and I forget how many rebounds. And it was crazy because whenever they would take Embiid out of the game, Utah would go on the run. And Embiid scored, I believe, all their points in the fourth quarter, all of them. And it was like we were like saying, Dag, if he scored 57, they would have lost. If he had blocked six shots, they would have lost. Mm-hmm. And that's when I was like, I got to give this guy the MVP because it's, it's here. Like, it's, yeah. it's, you know, so that that's how big he is to this team. Yeah, and for some people, that last performance against Boston was sort of the uh, the, the icing on the cake. It was like, all right, this is this is that dude. This is his year to be to be MVP. Max, what's your take on it? What do you say? Well, I mean, that's what Doc said. Doc Rivers said that best. He said when after Joel Embiid had the 50-plus game against the Celtics, he said, this MVP thing is over now. Oh, that's right. He did say that. No yeah. more. Uh, Joel Embiid is the MVP. Doc Rivers will stand up for his guys, especially a guy like Joel Embiid. He, we saw him with Kevin Garnett. We saw him with Paul Pierce. We saw him with Ray. He, he loves those veteran guys who play like that. And Joel Embiid is a load. Uh, I just mm. think combinations that he has if you're looking for James Harden to be James Harden of six or seven years ago I think I think you're you're biting up the wrong tree you're barking up the wrong tree uh he he dominated he dominated that game the first game and he was extraordinary and but now the Celtics made an adjustment you put a bigger stronger guy on it trap him a little bit more and the biggest thing there is no room for him to operate. How many times do I see him and Joel Embiid standing beside each other <laughs> trying to score the ball? I'm like, dude, you, you, you need some space out there. They weren't mm-hmm. getting space out there with Joel Embiid uh, and Harden uh, trying to work that post. And it, 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 it was just it was just kind of ugly to see. And the fact that the 76ers did not have any other scores off the bench. That's why tomorrow's game will tell me more than anything about this series. If the Celtics win this game, which I feel they can, the, the, the 76ers are in a lot of trouble. 76ers have to extend this, this series. It has to go six, seven games for them to possibly win it. I, I, I will agree with that. I, like I, I kept saying, you know, game three is going to tell us a lot about the Sixers. And, and from the standpoint of, you know, you, you look at it, I, I you know, it, it's, you get them when you – I feel like when you lose by 34 points, that paint, that plane ride home is is like the longest plane ride. You can't <laughs> sleep at night. You can't wait to get back in the gym. You can't do all that other stuff. And when you win by 34 points, especially to a team like let's say, you know, Joel Embiid is one and nine against Boston in the playoffs, you tend to think like, yo, this is gonna be easy a little bit. And then you factor in, like, they're going to be in Philadelphia, where I tell you, they hate the Celtics. They hate everything about Boston, the city. Like, when they see black yeah, people, I mean, like, y'all got black people? Like, that's how bad <laughs> it is. I can't stand that question, yo. I can't fucking stand it. Uh, yo, I'm no. just telling you, man. Like, no, no, you're right, though. You're spot on. Here. Oh, we yeah, can talk yeah. about But I'm telling you, dude. You're we, spot on. We was, we was like, we were like, you don't like anything about Boston, anything. Well, so, well, Max had a, a rent. Well, Max, I'll let you tell the story. Okay. What happened when you checked the hotel? Yeah, yeah, he said, but so so here's my thing, and you know this, man. So if, the, and, and then the energy, the people, I'm telling you, man, 
Yeah, yeah. I think the people – I don't know, but I think because Boston used to win those games, a lot of those big games. So it's like the hate is more so, I think, on the Philly side, a little more so. Yeah, so you so. got all that going on. <clears throat> You're going to get this guy the trophy before the game. So everybody's going to be on 10. And if they lose, they could be in trouble because yeah. they got everything on them, yeah. everything on their side. And if they lose, they could be in trouble. Well, well let, in me, trouble. let me let let me me say this since you were talking about Philadelphia and Boston. It had to be, and this is in my broadcasting career, and I would say maybe 10 or 11 years ago, I was watching a parade in Philly, and it was the – and they had some – they had some people in blackface. It was the, uh, what was it? The that, the stra- what, so that was what, longer what? than the That was a long time ago. What, what, what? Yeah, when the hell is this, man? Yeah, yeah, it wasn't. <laughs> 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 it was, I must have missed the news that day. Talking about the Mummers Parade. Yeah, yeah the no, Mummers yeah, Parade. Yeah, yeah. That's the last time I remember seeing I was like, <laughs> no. I officially saw black, you know, some white people in blackface. I was like, Look at Max trying to be like, Philly's more racist than Boston. Yeah, nah. <laughs> all, I know is, hey, all I know is we saw the story where they uh, hit the dude with the with the pole. See, the thing about, you know. Uh, oh, the, man. Now, now we're going way back. Yeah, we're going way back. But the so, black pole, yeah, yeah. We didn't know that guy. I, yeah. tell you, I mean, like, dude, I'm telling you. The first, I remember Michael Carter Williams. So I can't, you know, Michael Carter Williams from Boston area. So I met oh, his right. pop. I was like, yo, man, you cool. He like, why wouldn't I be? Like, dude, he's from Boston. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Wow. Just, like, I'm, I'm telling you, man. You yes, there was Noel. Noel's from uh he's from Everett, right down the street. Yeah, but you hated people from Boston. Like, and then it got to a point, real rap, man. Like, I'm on the beat and I'm like me, and I'm calling my buddies. I'm like, yo, man, I met some people from Boston. They cool. Like, you would like them. <laughs> you would like them. I mean, <laughs> it was crazy. Like, you hated. You hated Larry Bird. You hated Parrish. You hated Cornbread. You hated all of them. <laughs> Casey Jones was a sellout. I mean, you hated everybody. Like you did. You just you know what? I wonder. I wonder what side of the feather would have been on growing up during those times. Uh-huh. Let me ask you a question here because this is. It's always bothered me. That's the same thing the Lakers did with the Celtics during the eighties. They were saying that we were, it was it was like a black team playing against a white team. Yeah, we had a bunch of black players. Yeah, yeah. But Max, that's the way it was. Like, I, like I told you, man, growing up because I grew up here in Boston. The OGs, people on my blog, would always be like, "Man, why, you, why are you such a Celtics fan?" Back this is back then. This is way back when it's like they weren't, they weren't, they weren't good, right? And like, why do you even like them? Like, they're Boston. That's our team. He's like, man, I can't stand those dudes. We grew up. We we root for the Lakers. That's a you know, that's the really uh, it was like the that. White, white, people, people, white people root for the Celtics. I'm like, what? Like that, but they were still in that, they still had that mindset, you know, even 10 years removed from the 80s. I'm like, come on, man. But let me tell you when I knew that, you know, and this is when I've told this story many times before. I knew that Larry Bird was a crossover. It was the day that I was in a black barbershop. And uh-huh. you know the pictures they have in there, they have Jesus first. Last last meal, they yeah. have they have Martin Luther King, Ali, and there was a damn picture of Larry Bird. I was like, in a black barbershop. Like, what the hell is this? So that's when I knew that Larry Bird had crossed over, and uh, it still was. It's it's still. I, I don't. You know, we can say it. 
people don't want to say it. And it's, it's not a night, maybe not politically correct, but black people did not want the Boston Celtics to beat the Los Angeles Lakers because mm-hmm. they felt like the Lakers were a black team and it was a front to, yep. you know, <clears throat> people of color that this team that was white, but we had all these black players on it, was able to beat the Lakers. Right. Yeah, I would agree because that's what it was. It was kind of like, I mean, first of all, you, you see the city of Boston, but it was kind of like, like the, you're right, y'all did it. They did have a lot of black um, role players um, and, and some, you know, some Hall of Famers too now. Like, let's keep it real. But when you, but when you thought of the Celtics, like in the 80s, the three people that came to mind was Bird, Mikel, and Danny, right? So everybody looked at them and said, we can't lose to them because you look at Bird and he didn't look real athletic. Mikel, <laughs> why, why, would, why would you say that though? Why would he you didn't say look that? athletic. No, 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 no. No, he didn't talk about that. <laughs> I'm, not talking about that. I'm talking about why would you say the people you thought of? Because so you know why, Max. Can no, I say no, it? I'm just saying, hold on, Joseph. Larry Bird was cold, man. Say, That's why I'm I thought saying, of it. Larry Bird was cold blooded. But you had Robert Parrish was a Hall of, of Famer. Course. Dennis Johnson was a Hall of Famer. Yeah. I was, exactly. a, I was a finals MVP. So I the guys you. that you talk about, but I'm saying the people, the people that people didn't like. So that's right. what I'm talking about. Oh, they're like, the ones that, that had a lasting effect. They the right. ones, I, I they the ones that people didn't like. And and you know what it was? It, it was the one. And you know what? Like if we really want to be real about it, keep it, it real. Really, like it wasn't. See what it was is it was like it's kind of like name a, a a white guard in the NBA who's gritty, who's gritty. Just name one. Like okay, I'm gonna give you one. T.J. McConnell, who used to play for the Sixers in Indiana. So where is – and I like T.J. I covered him in high school, college, and the pros. Yeah. It's kind of crazy how it worked out, but I did, right, on different levels. So, But the thing is, what you get is I think you get some – if we're going to be real, you get some black people who they go to the game and they look over and they sit and cool, and then all of a sudden you see they look over and they see a white guy like, go ahead, Larry Bird, go ahead, T.J., <laughs> Like, man, we don't Max, Max, right now, I mean, that's what it is. It's Pritchard. Right now, it's That's yeah. what it is. It's kind of like, okay, now you ain't cheer. You didn't cheer for uh, Marcus Smart, but you're going to cheer for Pritchard. Right. You're and about Keith, and Keith guess what? Guess what? And you I can think, go in the store and you'll find a Pritchard jersey. Like, that's and, and a, and because I think, they know that. Right. Amit, <laughs> slice that around. Well, see, the good thing is you can put that big screen up and then, uh, you know, the audio's in the back. Okay, apparently we're not going to get him back. Hold on, let me text him now. Okay. <laughs> what were we talking about again? It was the, oh, Philly, right? Oh, fans. White fans, I guess. Oh, here he is. Yo, I thought Cedric, like, banged on me. (laughs) <laughs> Yo, for some reason your audio just cut out, and I was like, "Shit, he's saying some fire right now. We can't hear it though." 
egg. But um, but like when, when you talk about it, it it's kind of like I just felt like it was the fact that you got the people who who like rooted for like the black people saw them rooting for the white guys, but they mm. weren't rooting for the black guys. And then all of a sudden it became that bravado, like, hey, we're gonna beat you on the court. Like one of those type things. But when you look at it, like, let's be real, you had the black coach, one of the not the first black coach, but he was one of the 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 one of the best coaches in the NBA in Casey Jones, right? A great coach. You had you said Dennis, Dennis Johnson from Compton. Like we ain't talking about he wasn't from like uh Hollywood. He wasn't from Beverly. Right. He was from Compton. You know what I'm saying? So they did have you did have that, but it was like people felt like the ones who were celebrated were Larry Bird, Danny Ains, mm-hmm. Kevin McHale. And then when Bill Walton joined the team, you, you know what I mean? That's what they felt like they were the ones celebrated. You know, because even like was it Gerald Henderson? Like he played for y'all. I mean, man played with a neck brace one game. I was like, whoa, right? <laughs> I mean, he did. He played with a neck brace. You're like, yo, what's going on? They don't do that nowadays. nowadays. Yo, how did they get away with that back then? That was wild. <laughs> Dudes didn't care back then. Dudes were going to play. But, you know, you you you, you mentioned that subject. And I, I, I don't think I've ever really said it as much. But to me, it was always so disrespectful. Yeah, Max hates being that. Back, being a black player in Boston and not being cheered by other people of color because mm-hmm. I played because I played in Boston. And remember that, you know, Michael and I wouldn't not Michael Thompson. I was about to give him a lot, but we were going on, we talked about all those people that were with the Lakers at that time. And we say, man, yeah, and it would talk about us, but I remember very distinctly Michael Cooper uh calling us uh fiddler from roots saying we were we were chicken joe he called my buddy ml car that and it was just it it just it just resonates even now that you know just that black and white thing which still today you know kind of bothers me but it bothers me even more so when i hear white people tell me sometimes like or, or even sometimes black people say i remember you when you played you were the guy you you had the towel in your hand (laughs) <laughs> I, was like, I was like, that was ML Carr. And I'm like, how the hell could I play with a towel in my hand trying to guard Dr. J all at one time? Stupid. You could have said the most stupid things, but I do understand what you're saying about it. But to me, it was still um, one of the most disrespectful things I can think about as a, as a player and playing for the Celtics. Okay. I'm sure you here, here, here's a big thing I'll tell you: yeah. the fact that I did not want to play for the Celtics, and mm-hmm. not because of the color barrier or me knowing about the history of Boston. It's just I did. I was tired of seeing them win, and I was a Philadelphia 76er fan. Really? I was a what? huge. Wow. I was a huge Wilt Chamberlain fan, and wow. I did not. I was drafted number twelve uh, in the NBA in the lottery. And I did not want to be drafted by the Celtics. And the only reason I say that is because I, I, there was a better team. There was a, a Chicago picked after uh, of the Boston, after Boston with number 13. But where I actually wanted to go was number 14. I wanted to go to Atlanta. And I was oh, always I was like, <laughs> let me go. And I, and I was from Charlotte. 
So yeah. it wasn't any fits to that, but I was just used to being around people of color. And when I came to Boston the first time, it's almost exactly like you said. I, they put me up in a place called the Parker House, which was right downtown. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, well, I got to go someplace where I can run so I can stay in shape. And I went down. The guy said, well, there's a park right down the street. And I'm like, oh, shit, there's a park. You know, I'm, I'm see people of color in the park. Yeah. I went to the Boston Commons and I didn't see a damn black person in there. I was like, oh, hell no. This is impossible to believe. So. Yeah, there were there are some things that even now I still look at and just kind of laugh when it comes to that. But you know what? It's funny that you say that because, like, you know, I see you from afar. Like, I remember when I used to first get on the league, and I was like, "Dang, man, he cool!" Like, everybody go up to you. You know, what I mean, you got a little. Well, what you, what you thought he was rude or something because he's from Boston? You thought Boston changed him? I mean, no, it's like you see people. Like, I mean, you know what? It's because you, as a, you grow up and you like. I mean, you just ignorant. People just ignorant. Like you, yes. you look at it and you and you you don't get to know people, and and like like you know what? Let's keep it real. Like he said something about the the black face on the mummers. You know, like Philly has some issues too now. Like yeah. Philly has some issues, and the cities are more similar than people want to yes admit. Really yeah, people want to <laughs> admit, right? So, but but the thing about Boston, like let's let's think about this. So, John Thompson. You know, everybody grew up like I grew up and I was a Georgetown Hoyer fan. I thought Georgetown was an HPCU until I realized that, you know, what I, mean? I mean, like as a kid, I'm like, I'm like we got all black people, like everybody black on the team. And they like this and that. And then like when you look at it and you say, I mean, every, you know what? Yo, man, Georgetown. <laughs> Was Black America Squad? Yes, <laughs> Black <laughs> America Squad. Yeah, and then yes. you realize, well, dang, I can't get in there. Like, you know, I can't get in there. And then you look at it. So the coach, power to the people. This Thompson. big, strong black man with his towel, who didn't take anything from anybody, was a Boston Celtic. Yeah, you know mm-hmm. what I'm saying. So, like, that's what I'm trying to Pretty say. Cool. You like, you look at, and you look at some of these other coaches. Boston Celtics, who all spoke out, but am, yeah. am I right, um, Cedric? Well, Dude, that was, wait a minute. That, that line is gonna go with me. I love that you said you thought that you thought that Georgetown was a, a traditional black college. <laughs> <laughs> when I was younger, like, it was like it was everything. Like, yeah, I'm glad he said that, Max, because yeah, Keith, there's some people we we just this past season they had the first uh, HBCU night at, at TD Garden. There's a lot of people in the crowd being like, what's an HBCU? Like, they didn't know. So that, that's funny, man. That's funny. I mean, I it, mean was, it was all, they were they all black. They Everybody was black. Like, when you saw, yeah. when you finally saw a white Georgetown player, it's like, whoa, they got a white dude on the team. <laughs> they had, it was, everybody was black. And, and he had one white assistant, <laughs> the dude with the glasses. <laughs> white assistant. It was crazy. It was crazy. He was. Oh, man. Uh, All right, Keith. He, let's, he um, was very much so a strong. You talk about John Thompson, very strong, dynamic person, and the way he lived his life was he was so he was so pro player, but he was so much pro when it came to protecting Patrick Ewing and mm. those guys on, on Georgetown's team that From he Cam felt the press were going to attack, and John Thompson was the dad. He was he was a dad that you did not fuck with his kids, and I love that about John Thompson, man. He would he would, it was like you would you would look at that team, and 
I had never thought about it being a, a traditionally black college, but damn, just thinking about that now, looking back <laughs> on it, you're going, yeah, you might have something there. Was, that's all they had. And remember, they used to fight people, knock people up. They used to do everything. They was oh, yeah. And and the coach wanted to fight. He wanted yeah. to fight too. He, you know, yeah, I remember seeing video. They're like holding him back. Yeah, I remember yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, for me, it was um, his relationship with, with Allen Iverson. That, that's one of the first times yeah. I really learned about uh, Coach Thompson and, and, and how he uh, how, how Iverson's mother came to him. It was like, save my boy. No one wanted to recruit him. It was, it was a really special, special, obviously, a, a touching story um, that, that obviously paved the way for AI to get into the league. And he, he was forever thankful um, for, for that, obviously. But real quick, Keith, before we uh, get you out of here, actually, you know what? Before we talk briefly about the West Coast, I want to touch base – about uh, Milwaukee and Max, this is something that we didn't get into last week, but we had a whole lot to, to talk about and we just missed it. But um, uh, was the Bucks season a, a, a failure? Can we call it that? Um, what's your take on what Giannis? Wait, wait a minute, said? Joshua. Wait a minute. The, the Bucks season. The, the Bucks coach got fired today. Yeah, he was fired today. I was gonna go into that too, but yeah, <laughs> yeah I mean, look, first of all, I just want to. I want to establish the fact that the season was a failure, and then that's the biggest sign of that. And I think I'm the I'm not the only one in saying that. I'm not surprised what happened to Coach Budden, Buddenholzer because we all sort of saw that coming, and it coincides with the fact that this was a disappointing, this was a failure of a regular season or of a playoff run season overall for the Milwaukee Bucks. Yeah, it was a failure. I mean, because like I mean, let's face it, like they already won a championship, and and they had these guys. They were bringing in these free veteran free agents. To win another one, and and they were the best team in the league, best record, and they go out, they go out in the first round. It's a failure. I, I, you know, I, I feel like, you know, sometimes you get asked a question and you don't really want to answer it. You know, it, it, you know, you you don't want to make it seem like I'm a failure. Like, what are you talking right. about? So you, you, you answer it a certain way. Right. But the thing that people don't know that was the sound bite that everybody picked up, but also. He wasn't really helping Bud out now before that because he was also talking about like the things that they should have done, they could have done, you know, this like that. And a lot of that stuff falls on the coach. So then when you see the coach get fired, um, you're not surprised because if you think about it, him winning the championship saved them his job the last it time. Did. So now it you did. lose in the first sure. round and they looking at it like, yo, look at these players you we gave you. Yeah, he's going to lose his job. So they admitted that it was a failure, but I don't think that Giannis and them helped them out, man. And, like, you know, because you don't say, well, you know, we should have been guarding Jimmy this way and we should have been doing this and doing that. It's like you're putting the blame on someone and that's going to be on the coach. Mm -hmm. wow. You're not surprised, right, Max? I am. I'm actually surprised that uh, you know when you win a championship, you get you get a, a little bit more mileage, you get a little bit more leeway, and for him to have the best record in the one of the best records in the league, uh, and for them to can him today, I was absolutely surprised when I I saw the ticker tape that said you know he was Tulsa was fired. I was like wow, but it did tell me that you know they're going to make some moves because. Obviously, I have one of the best players in the game in Giannis, but I wonder who's going to come in and take that job. I'm, I'm just yeah. very curious to see yeah. who, who is, you know, it's, it's a great job when you got those kind of personnel, but who comes in there and makes them better? I mean, I think yeah. they have 
some odd pieces right now uh, when it comes to winning in the NBA. Because the NBA now is about speed and, and moving and moving the basketball. And you look at Giannis sometimes, especially in the half court, he dribbles, 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 trying to get open. And teams don't do that no more, especially to get a two-point play. And then you can't make any free throws after you get fouled. That is just kind of crazy to see. So I was a little surprised, but um, but I guess any showed me anything can happen in the NBA now. Yeah, I feel like Giannis personified the loss, man. He took it. He took it too hard. And this this is you know that quote, that soundbite that everyone was was listening to about him, you know, snapping on on a reporter about you know being called a failure, called the season being called a failure. It did come minutes after he was asked about his free throw shots. If he had something bothering him, is there a reason why he missed, what, 12, 13 free throws in that deciding series clinching game? So I think that added to it. Like, man, you, you try to put this on me? You know, he, it, the way he heard it was, Giannis, you're a failure. You know what I mean? Like, that's – and then he just he just reacted to that. But in terms of um, um, Mike Budenholzer, I, I just feel like he, he sort of lost those guys, especially because they didn't make adjustments on Jimmy. You didn't see them try to double or, or try to make changes to slow him down. And the end result was an L, you know, a, a, a series clinching L that no one saw coming. And all of a sudden now their, their season's over and Miami moves boy, on. Boy, yeah, I think he did. He did some things, though. He put one He put one of the best defenders at the guard position on. And that was Drew Holiday. Yeah, but he Max, you to double the guy. He turned around. He you turned doubled around, him. He turned around and told Drew Holiday, I own your ass. I own you. And who else is over there? Who else is over there on the Bucks are gonna go over there and take that position? You give me one of those players over there. You, you anybody that you want to I mean, name over there with the Bucks, who are you gonna name? If you're gonna double team, can we get a little Jay in there? I mean, Jay tried a little bit in the first couple of games. He He went with Jay a little bit. Jay was not effective with him. And then what, happened, double, what, Miami, what Miami wants to do. What Miami wants to do is get Jimmy Butler coming downhill, and then once he comes downhill, either he's gonna throw it out to those three-point shooters. And it was he he was he was he was unreal too. So I think sometimes you gotta give it to somebody asked me one time before, said, What guy are you afraid of in the Eastern Conference? And, and immediately I said, Oh, Jimmy shit, Butler. Jimmy, Jimmy Butler, Jimmy Butler, please. <laughs> He a different dude. He a different dude. He'll bully you. Playoff Jimmy. Huh? Playoff Jimmy, yeah. Yeah, I mean, he was with the Sixers. People forget. But, like, if you're weak, he going to bully you, man. He going to yeah. get in your head and do it. You know, the one thing that stood out to me, too, was how Miami, that game, um, what's the guy, the uh, 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 the guy who about to um, retire? Uh, oh, Kevin man. Love? Nah, no. Nah, oh, has him. Yeah, has him. You remember because you know um, Bobby Portis is a mean dude. Like a Bob, nobody messes with Bobby Portis. Yeah. Has got up in his face, and like to me, right. that was yeah, like yeah. we setting the tempo, like because yeah. we're gonna go after you, and that's the head of the snake when it come down to toughness on that team. And then Jimmy was barking at everybody, and it was like they was kind of shook. I'm not saying Portis was, but he was upset. But the rest of them looking like, yo, what's going on? These dudes, <laughs> like they was going, I mean, it was like old school basketball. They was going after them. Yeah, they had them shook, in my opinion. That's yeah, not the I coach. That. That's the players. That's not the coach. That is the players. But, dude, you know, we want to thank you for coming on with us, man. The pleasure. 
I'm Hold sure. on, real, real quick though, Max, real quick, Keith, prediction on the out west, who's winning, Lakers or uh, uh, or Warriors, man? This thing is going to be, this might, this might go the, the distance. I, uh, you know, and since, believe it, in the beginning, I said I felt like the Warriors were going to come out the west, even though they're the sixth seed, I'm still sticking with them. Okay. I mean, neither one, neither one of them teams can beat can beat Denver. I, I, we can look at it all we want to. None of those teams have enough weapons right now to beat Denver. Denver showed me that when they played against Phoenix, that Phoenix has yeah. all these great scores. But but you could watch Denver; they kept bringing them in every time another guy right, would come man. who was a scorer, who was a defender, and then Jokic. Jokic is just a generational player that we've never seen before. We've seen a lot of different guys, but I don't know if we've seen anybody his size with his skill set. He's slow as Christmas, but he's not bad. <laughs> but he, you know, he he's gonna dink you. He's not gonna power you and run, but he's gonna go with all this trickery. And man, and he's smart, and he passes yeah. the hell out of the ball. It, he, I don't know who is going to compete with him at the end of the day. You know, they've been talking all this stuff about what Anthony Davis has done. Anthony Davis against Joker, I don't think that's going to be a good matchup. I just think they got a choke in them. I don't know. I just don't believe. You know, some teams you got championship DNA, and other teams you got regular season DNA and, like, you know, mm -hmm. good matchups. I just – I mean, again, they, they're the best team in the West, but I just don't know, man. I just don't I, – I don't know if they – You don't trust them. Go ahead and say I don't, I don't trust them either. Trust them. Yeah, I man. I, I just don't trust them. I mean, like – and I was about them for a little bit, and then the way they ended the regular season, I was like, ah, here we go again. You know what I mean? Like, it was just, yeah. Yeah, I, I just have a hard time with some of these teams, man. I, I just have a hard time with them. You know? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Right, well, Keith, we appreciate you checking in with us, man, on Cedric Maxwell Podcast. is Keith Pombay. Follow him on Twitter at Pombay on Sixers. Right for the Philadelphia Inquirer. And, man, one of my favorite guys to talk uh, basketball with, man. I appreciate you stopping by, Keith. Hey, I, I appreciate you guys um, having me on the podcast. I really had a good time. And then make sure, you know, I'll see you over the next couple of days. Don't be talking all that shit to me when you see me, all right? <laughs> <laughs> I will. I will. Yeah, because he keeps with a honey, man. That's why. I hate your ass, cornbread. I hate you. I hate you. <laughs> nah. All right, Yo, man. Until I, 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 I realized a lot of y'all was mover and shakers, you know what I mean? We was just looking at y'all in that uniform. And that uniform as the enemy, but then you look at it and like a lot of y'all, even like Paul Silas back in the day, one of the nicest guys you would ever meet was a Boston Celtic too. So yeah. it is what it is. Yeah. Appreciate All right, you. All right, y'all. Peace.